And and here we are again, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Living on a Thin Line with Tony Visick. I'm Tony Visick, and this is your daily reprieve from all the anxiety, anger, weirdness, and hoopla going on in the world today. Not saying it doesn't count. Not saying it doesn't matter. What we're saying is every once in a while, we all need to take a little break, and that includes me, and one of the ways I take a break is by coming on here and talking about uh, sometimes important stuff, but mostly fun or silly stuff with you. Uh, It's our Sunday afternoon show, and uh, uh, that means that I'm totally unprepared. Uh, Also, uh, we ventured out into the world today, Shirley and I, because we had to get a few things, and we went to uh, Fry's Electronics and Lowe's. Uh, which is a uh, home store, and bought uh, equipment to improve improve the um, performances that we bring to you and also some things, uh, some home improvement stuff so that we can make uh, our space a little more uh, comfortable and enjoyable for ourselves. But it was my first time venturing out of uh, this little town I live in. I, it's a suburb of Phoenix, so I still think that I'm basically in Phoenix, Tempe, Scottsdale, Chandler, etc., but uh, it's actually from this town to the next town, that's Casa Grande going to the south, which is a small, uh, a large small town, are going to, uh, uh, first you hit Chandler, but basically Maricopa County uh, and Phoenix. Uh, either way, you go through about 15 miles of desert that you kind of don't pay attention to, you know, like a long stoplight or something. Uh, but we hadn't been out of this town since uh, April. Uh, we've, we've gone a few miles to take the dog to the vet, Roscoe, who is healing quite nicely, by the way. And we're all happy about that. But uh, did I go to a bobblehead store? No, I didn't. Uh, Judy Harrington, happy Obama Day uh, to you as well. Um, uh, I, you know, I don't think they have just a bobblehead store, but that would be kind of cool if they did, but they don't, I believe. Anyway, it's a, it's a no bobblehead Sunday. So, um, so yeah, so we ventured out and like I said, got some equipment to, uh, make all of our presentations a little better. Didn't get everything. Uh, we went to Fry's Electronics. There was a time if you went to Fry's first, we tried to go to Best Buy, but it's by appointment only, which is, you know, okay. Uh, we were masked up. We were, you know, all that good stuff. So then we took a drive over to Fry's Electronics. Now, let me tell you the difference between Best Buy and Fry's. Best Buy is for people like me who don't know what they're doing. And Fry's is not for people like me because I don't know what I'm doing. Fry's is where they got like serious shit, like people that build computers and stuff. But uh, uh, I oftentimes went there on a Saturday or Sunday sometimes to see if they had a deal on TV or just to walk around or uh, buy some minor piece of equipment over uh, the last several years. Uh, When I was in Los Angeles uh, in Canoga Park, California, on um, on uh, Canoga, Canoga Boulevard. So uh, we have a Fry's Electronics out here, and we went today. Now, usually if you go there on a Saturday or Sunday, that is a bristling, a bustling joint full of all kinds of people. And the line, the checkout goes on forever. And you end up buying like 30 or $40 worth of other stuff, wires and computers and candy and magazines while you're waiting in that line. And usually there's about 20 checkers checking people out and holding up cards saying, you know, uh, uh, Register 11 is open. So uh, that's right, Donna Retailer, your store, my store, everybody's store. But we went today, and uh, uh, it put me in a little bit of a funk. I was just telling Shirley because uh, 
it's uh, there was hardly you could you could go into Fry's without an appointment. So we went over to Fry's looking for GoPros and tripods and things of that nature. But uh, it was empty. Uh, a lot of the shelves were bare. People just wandering around. I was able to get some stuff, some stuff they didn't have. And uh, it really just kind of brought it. Yes, the one in Canoga Park is the one I used to go to. Uh, oh, yeah, and that's what you're saying, Donna, that you go there too. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that was my store for many years. So I know things will get better. I know they may get more difficult before they get better. But um, I've been able to be kind of in a bubble because I've built an entire world and business online since this all happened. And because uh, we've been able to sustain ourselves here in our little town. We are going to take a trip to Los Angeles this summer, come hell or high water. So, uh, uh, but it was our, my first time, the last time I was in uh, Chandler or Ahwatukee. These are all suburbs of Phoenix, but part of greater Phoenix or Tempe uh, was uh, go talk to my, um, my accountant way back in April. <coughs> so it was a little, <laughs> excuse me. So it was a little bit of an eye opener. Um, okay, you know what? I got my sound on, so that's where you hear the little, little beeps and bops. But uh, anyway, I was able to buy some cool stuff, and I got it, and I brought it home. And uh, some of it's in the car, and some of it's in the house. And uh, uh, the very fact that I could afford to uh, buy equipment to upgrade our living experience and our business uh, makes me feel good inside. So uh, anyway, I just thought I'd share that with you guys. I'm excited about tonight. Tonight's definitely going to put me in a good mood. Tonight can put you in a good mood as well because it's 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. We now have our regular Sunday night show. Tony Vizic presents Sunday Night's Funnier. Uh, tonight's the Tony Vizic All-Stars. And that includes uh, Kev the All-Star. Tony Vizic All-Stars with Kev the All-Star, a.k.a. Kevin Brown. Uh, very funny man. Wonderful guy, too. Uh, Andrew Irwin doing his first uh, Zoom show with us. Uh, Jim Perry and Paul Green. So if you're looking for something fun and funny, if you're in a little funk or if you're bored or you go, man, you know, I've already watched everything on television. Uh, tonight, 7 o'clock Mountain Standard Time, uh, check out our Zoom show. Uh, I think these Zoom shows are the wave of the future. And as the technology improves and the way to deliver them improves, they're going to get better and better, and they're going to be with us for a long time to come. I certainly hope so, because I love doing them. I love the fact that I can have comics all over the city, all over the country, all over the world, all together in one spot on Zoom and be presented to people everywhere. I just think that's fascinating to me. I don't think it's fascinating. I know it's fascinating to me, but I think it is fascinating, and uh, it's a good show tonight. You can get tickets at ComedySchools.com. Uh, tickets are only $10, and when you Buy a ticket to Tony Visit Presents. You're buying three things. Entertainment for you. Uh, we're paying the comics. So uh, you're helping keep the economy going. And uh, we donate money every week to uh, right now the Maricopa Food Pantry here in our area. We were out there Saturday <clears throat> dropping off a little check uh, to them. So you're helping feed people as well. So you're having fun and you're doing good things. And man, isn't that what it's all about? to be able to uh, uh, do something good and productive and have fun doing it, and you'll be able to do that tonight. Okie dokie. Um, those of you that watch the show know it's built around three things. It's on three platforms. It's built around three things. The three platforms are ComedySchoolsRadioNetwork.com, where if you just want to listen, you can. It's our internet-based radio station. Uh, YouTube on the Comedy Schools channel. Uh, and, of course, here on Facebook Live. Here on Facebook Live. So uh, it's on three platforms, and it's based on three things. This is a 
double tripod uh, uh, show. Um, and it is based on uh, interaction with you guys uh, when you leave questions and comments on Facebook Live or YouTube or on uh, uh, ComedySchoolsRadioNetwork.com. It's based on me showing you some silly knickknack or memorabilia or uh, antique or autograph that I have laying around here in the home office. We make anything old, new again. And I recommend uh, two pieces of music or two artists based on my vast vinyl album collection. And, you know, we've been doing this now going on 90 days. Do we know how many days? How many? 85 days. Two albums a day, okay, for 85 days. That's uh, 170 albums that we've shared with you. Uh, and we're, we're far from done. And by the way, once we make it through all the albums, man, I got a, I got a, a CD collection that will rock your world as we talk about uh, great music from our past, from before our time, from uh, today, and some of the artists of the future. Today, uh, two for, uh, one group that is no longer working, but one guy who definitely is, but uh, great pieces of uh, Americana of the American Songbook. So, um, oh, real quick, if you're not doing anything Tuesday night, excuse me, 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. I'm doing a free intro to my comedy workshops. So a lot of you, you're sitting there and you're going, I, I'm not interested in a comedy workshop, but I'd like to know what Tony does besides talk to us every day at 2. Uh, go to ComedySchools.com. The, uh, meeting, uh, the, the uh, meeting code and password for this Tuesday's free intro is there, 6 p.m. Just pop in. Check it out. Check it out. I'd love to share it with you. Love to share it with everybody. Absolutely free Tuesday night. Okay. Let's get the memorabilia. Like I said, I was out shopping all day, even though I got up early. It took up most of my day, so I didn't get totally prepared. And once again, I was saved, not by the bell, but by my wife, who went, hey, you got some T-shirts over there that uh, uh, I dug out that you might want to uh, share. So here's what we got. This is kind of fun. There's nothing on the back of this shirt. But on the front, on the front, and I don't know if I'll be able to... Get this up for everyone to see. Maybe. All right. So what you're looking at is two ballparks there. It's going to be easier on YouTube for you guys to see it on YouTube. So there it is on YouTube. Here it is on Comedy School on uh, Facebook. And this is a commemorative um, St. Louis baseball shirt that I must have bought. I'll tell you exactly what I bought. I must have bought it uh, when I was in St. Louis at a game. Uh, to commemorate being there, and now I don't remember when it was. Uh, it commemorates Sportsman's Park from 1902 to 1966 and Bush Stadium from 1966 to 2005. St. Louis, Missouri is on its third major league ballpark. St. Louis, by the way, here, I'll show you the shirt again. I think it's cool. St. Louis is a baseball town. That's that, The St. Louis baseball Cardinals are as much a part of a St. Louisan's identity as their last name. Okay. And I must've been out there on vacation or visiting my family. Uh, and uh, I picked up this shirt at a ball game. The last time I was in St. Louis last year, Shirley and I, we were there doing a show, uh, down in Gaslight Square. Uh, we, uh, we actually went to an afternoon baseball game. Hello, Lauren Molliver. How are you? Um, St. Louis, Missouri. It's a commemorative shirt. There you go. <laughs> Uh, has gone through three major league uh, ballparks. Sportsman's Park, Bush Stadium, and the brand new Bush, uh, brand new uh, stadium, which I, 
I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of blanking as whether it's called Bush Stadium, but I've been to all three. Sportsman's Park was one of the original great baseball parks uh, located a Grand and Dodier in the heart at the time of St. Louis, next to the fabulous Fox Theater. Um, it was an ancient ballpark. My dad took us to at least a couple of games. We sat way in the outfield. Uh, but it was, a, it was a ballpark that housed two major league baseball teams, the St. Louis Cardinals and the St. Louis Browns. What a lot of people didn't know, because by the time I was uh, born, by the time I was a kid, uh, the St. Louis Browns were gone. Okay, but even in their even throughout the twenties uh, and thirties and forties, they were a horrible team, and everybody assumed that Sportsman's Park was owned by the St. Louis Cardinals, but it was owned by the owners of the St. Louis Browns. Uh, Bill Veek, I believe, was their owner or president, and during World War II, actually sent a um, uh, a little person, what used to be referred to as a midget, up to bat, uh, who kept getting walked because it had such a small strike zone, and they uh, uh, ruled against that by the end of the game. He also sent um, uh, Champ de Blasio. Says, "Are you old enough to remember the St. Louis Browns ball club?" No, Champ. They left town a year before I was born. I was born in 1955. They left town in 1954 and became the Baltimore Orioles. The St. Louis Browns moved from St. Louis to Baltimore and became the Baltimore Orioles. Bill Veig also sent a uh, one, um, a one-legged picture pitcher. Uh, up to play and uh, uh, and he was a good pitcher and then once the uh, uh, the other team figured out you know they figured out his weakness which is they just kept bunting and he wasn't able to get off the uh, mound quick enough with a, a one good leg and one wooden leg and uh, field the ball so Bill Veek was a showman uh, who uh, you know what he gave a little person you know, and a one-legged person a chance to uh, play major league baseball the St. Louis Browns were in the World Series one time in their entire history one time in their entire history, and it was in 1944. And oddly enough, the only time the St. Louis Browns were in the World Series, they played the St. Louis Cardinals and lost the series. And lost the series. It was called the Streetcar Series because in those days, the major mode of transportation inside the city of St. Louis were streetcars, and people just took a streetcar down and watched the game. Um... St. Louis Browns were able to get in the World Series that year because uh, so many uh, quality players were um, off in Europe uh, fighting uh, in World War II. So uh, a lot of ball clubs were weaker, and the Browns had a chance. But anyway, this is a T-shirt that I bought. I'm going to assume that I bought it in 2005, uh, that I was back in St. Louis during that time, and I got this T-shirt, and uh, it's a pretty cool thing to have. And it reminded me of all the great times I've had at baseball stadiums my entire life. From Sportsman's Park to Bush Stadium to the new Bush Stadium in St. Louis to uh, the old Cleveland Indians uh, uh, Stadium in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, uh, to Arrowhead in Kansas City, uh, to uh, Giant Stadium in San Francisco, to the old Seattle um, uh, ballpark uh, that was down near Pioneer Square in Seattle, to uh, watch the Twins in the Metrodome, and on and on. Throughout my life, I've been traveling the United States. One of the things I always got to do was, uh, as a stand-up comic, uh, was catch day games in a lot of places. And uh, baseball always filled a big uh, void in my life. Um, it looks like they're probably going to play again, but there's a lot of arguments going on. We do know that the NFL is planning a full season, and that the NBA is planning a partial season. 
There is, uh, let's see, Lauren Oliver says, I was at the last game ever played at Forbes Field in the first and last games ever played in Three Rivers Stadium. That's pretty cool. That's pretty darn cool, Lauren. If any of the rest of you have uh, some baseball stories you want to share here, I would uh, be more than happy to hear them. I'm looking forward to baseball being played again. I don't know. No one knows what the future holds. We're all living a day at a time. And we're all doing the best we can each and every day. Uh, I think both sides in MLB, the players union and the owners, are working towards um, uh, having something that we can share. Uh, Donna Reed Taylor says, I used to work for Del Webb, who owned the New York Yankees. Casey Stingle used to call Mr. Webb, and it was hilarious. I remember Dodger Stadium being built in L.A. It was very controversial at the time. Indeed, it was, Donna. When, Do- when Dodger Stadium was built, it was built, and it still is in an area called Chavez Ravine. Uh, Chavez Ravine was a thriving neighborhood, a wonderful neighborhood. The story is that Walter O'Malley and the mayor uh, took a helicopter up over L.A., and the mayor's going, tell me where. The mayor of Los Angeles at the time, I believe it was Sam Yorty, I could be wrong, uh, said, tell me where you would like to have a stadium built, and we'll build it for you. And as they were flying around, O'Malley pointed down where Chavez Ravine was, and goes, that looks like a good spot right there. Uh, it was a thriving um, Latino community, by the way. Uh, and um, uh, they evicted everyone there. You know, when, when they do an eminent domain thing like that, they give you fair value for their house, your house supposedly. Most likely that didn't happen then. But towards the end, the last holdouts were actually drugged physically out of their homes. As you look at um, what's going on in the world today, uh, imagine being physically drugged out of your home so someone could build a uh, baseball stadium. Of course, by the time I hit Los Angeles in the 70s, uh, that was uh, either unspoken history or ignored history or forgotten history. And we just knew that we had a wonderful time. Uh, We lived in Hollywood. You could actually drive. Damn it. I want to say on Hollywood Boulevard till it becomes prospect. I can't remember. But, you know, city streets all the way up to a beautiful area, uh, beautiful Hollywood, beautiful L.A. hills you know, uh, covered with palm trees, et cetera, and go to an incredible ball game at what was, at the time, one of the real jewels in the crown of baseball stadiums, Dodger Stadium. So um, anyway, anyway, uh, I hope baseball comes back. Baseball is important to America. Sports are important to America. Uh, David Van Winkle says, golf is back with no crowds. Uh, Okay, so I guess they're playing professional golf, but no one can watch it. Uh, I understand the plan for... Both the NFL and Major League Baseball is to allow people to attend. Uh, The plan for the NBA is to not allow people to attend. I go to a lot of sporting events. And oftentimes I think it's because I'm not very imaginative. (laughs) They go, all right, that'll be fun to do. Uh, But they've always filled a big chunk of my life. I've always had a lot of fun either going uh, with my parents when I was little or my daughter uh, or my grandkids and my wife now and go with friends and family. Uh, but I've always watched a lot of it on television. It's always been a big, it's always been a big part uh, ever since uh, radio and television uh, came into, uh, America, into American life. Uh, sports being played, sometimes being able to hear, hear it while you're sitting in your car from another car or through someone's window as you're walking down the street are reverberating through your house, even if you're not in the same room, uh, kind of fills the American spirit. So I hope that uh, the players and the owners in Major League Baseball realize that that's important. In the NBA, um, 
I believe Kylie Irving uh, is saying that he doesn't know if they should play because it might be taken away from uh, some of the important movements going on today. But I don't know what someone who is as gifted as LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard uh, or James Harden uh, or Chris Paul, uh, I don't know what more they could do to uh, uplift and elevate uh, anyone they wish to and everyone in general than by uh, giving us back the gift of uh, uh, sports. And I, I hope they get all that worked out. Okie doke. Okie dokie. Um, let's talk about the music. Okay, I've got, uh, I've got two, uh, and th- these won't be anything where you go, whoa, I've never heard of them before. Because sometimes I do that. Sometimes I, I pick something really obscure or pick something really offbeat. But today, I've got two things here. First thing is kind of cool to show you because uh, uh, you won't maybe be able to tell right away just by looking. All right, it just looks like a bunch of, uh, um, it looks like a bunch of people from the 1800s. And that's how these guys always kind of looked. And that was part of their appeal, that they had this look, this look, and not only the sound that seemed to come from a different time and place. So that was like a sleeve that goes over the album. I'm looking to see if there's anything else inside this sleeve I can share with you. Some of you already know who it is. Yeah, it's just a double sleeve. That's weird. All right. Okay, but here's the album itself. And uh, unless you're deep into paint with these guys, uh, this back won't help you. But once again, okay, it evokes something. This, ladies and gentlemen, is Stage Fright by the band. Stage Fright by the band. I think we've talked about the band on this show before. Uh, Richard Manuel, uh, uh, Robbie Robertson, Rick Danko, Levon Helm, and Garth Hudson. Uh, an incredible group of men who, um, yes, the 70s, the 60s, the 70s, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, an incredible group of men who created a unique sound that uh, kind of personified what they said folk music was, although what they played was rock, which is uh, if it sounds old but it's new, it's probably a folk song. Uh, that was kind of the motto of the folkies in the early mid sixties in, um, uh, Greenwich village, uh, and the East village. So this was an incredible, uh, album and it had the song strawberry wine, sleeping time to kill just another whistle, whistle stop and all LA glory. That was side one side two was where the stunning work was done. And it is, uh, the shape I'm in the WS Walcott medicine show. Daniel and the Sacred Heart, Stage Fright and The Rumor. And Stage Fright is one of the great songs of all times. It is one of the most honest songs about uh, performers and a particular performer than you'll ever, ever hear. This uh, song, this, uh, wow, the engineer on this was Todd Rundgren. I think that's kind of cool. Stage Fright. See the man with the stage fright just up there giving it all his might. It was one of the best explanations of what a performer goes through before they hit the stage. See the man with the stage fright up there giving it all his might. Okay, and when it's, when it's over, he wants to start all over again. They wrote that song about Bob Dylan. And when you understand that Bob Dylan suffered from, and probably still does, some sort of stunning stage fright, it explains a lot of his mysterious behavior. And just a word about stage fright. I... Uh, have performed as a stand-up comic 
since 1986 all the way up till now. Uh, yes, primarily now I produce and promote shows and teach people how to do it, but I also perform on those shows. And I go through a little bit of anxiety in a minor bit of depression before every show, whether it's going to be in front of five people, 50 people, 500 people, 5,000 people. I can't go much higher than that. I think that's the biggest crowd I ever worked in front of. Uh, whether it's on television, whether it's on radio, whether it's on Facebook Live, I go through just a little bit of a funk. But as soon as it's over, I start planning the next show. And uh, no song better personifies what a performer goes through than Stage Fright by the band. I urge you, and the, the work on it, like I said, that spooky organ music, uh, that uh, the calliopes, uh, the sound it sounded like it came from some other world or another past is what made the band so incredibly unique. They had been uh, Bob Dylan's backup band for a long time and um, then eventually uh, worked on their own. I had the good fortune to see the band twice in 1974 when they were backing up Bob Dylan. And again, a couple years later at a rock festival where I was uh, so fucked up, I don't remember a single thing about it. Donna Reed Taylor says, uh, tossed together groups of people who were all stars within other groups. The band was one of the first ones doing this. Yes, 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 they were. Yes, and it is a great album, and I agree. And I'm glad that, uh, uh, I'm glad you agree. And I urge everyone to, if you don't, if you haven't listened to them for a while, go back and listen to them again. It'll do your heart good. And if you don't know who they are, uh, YouTube uh, Stage Fright. You'll absolutely love it. Uh, this next guy, you know what? I'm going to go with this other album. Same guy, two albums, and you all know who he is. But once again, speaking about Americana, people who somehow were able to distill the American experience, and not the American experience in general, but almost like either a fictitious person or a person and what they were going through inside and share it with us in their songs in a way that connected direct heart or mind or spirit or soul. That's what the band did. Okay, and just a couple of years after them, this guy hit the scene and kind of changed everything. And it's kind of hard to believe that he looked like that and he was that young. But yes, that is Bruce Springsteen. And this is Darkness on the Edge of Town. And it contains the hits uh, Badlands, Adam Raised a Cane, Something Night, Candy's Room, Race in the Street, Factory, Streets of Fire. And, of course, Promised Land, Prove It All Night, and Darkness at the Edge of Town. This was an album that spoke to everyone in their 20s, 30s, maybe teens, when it came out. Because that which we could not quite articulate ourselves about what we were going through as America. I, America is constantly changing. It's changing now. America's ability to constantly change and still be America may be our greatest gift. But it was going through a change and we didn't recognize because for a long time, so many of us who came of age in the 70s uh, kind of assumed that we were going to be following in our father's footsteps, but at the same time didn't want to follow in our father's footsteps. The frightening part was not that we might have to end up working in a factory like our dad did. That wasn't the frightening part. That was the angry part. Man, I don't want to end up working in that factory the rest of my life. The frightening part was the factories began to go away. So even the worst fallback plan had disappeared. And we had to reinvent ourselves and what we did all over 
again. And that's what Bruce Springsteen really, really, really was able to capture, was what young people were going through in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia and Cleveland and St. Louis and to a certain extent in Los Angeles and New York uh, and throughout America as uh, the old manufacturing base began to slip away and we didn't know what was going to replace it. And it was, and, and Donna Reed Taylor says, yes, and even a, uh, more of a change for women. I remember watching things like my father losing his good job and my mom being able to get a job in a low-paying factory uh, and help with the family till my dad found something else. And uh, watching the changes that went on for everyone, men, women, children, in the 70s, Bruce captured the angst of that time and continued to do so throughout his career and still does today. Okie doke. Okie doke. I think I waxed poetic today. Um, I want to apologize about a, a minor mistake I made yesterday. Um, I had um, said that uh, I, uh, I was referencing Ice-T, and I said that he had done the song Fuck the Police, but he had not. It was Ice Cube, and I want to apologize to Ice-T and Ice Cube, and also Vanilla Ice, and anybody who was ever in an Ice Bucket Challenge, uh, or, or uh, anybody who likes to chew ice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was an ice confusion. Uh, hey, I'm going to be back tonight, 7 o'clock. Now you have to pay a ticket for that, 10 bucks. Okay, go to ComedySchools.com and uh, click on that show. Me and a bunch of very funny people tonight. And if you can't do that, or you won't do that, uh, that's fine. I get it. I'll be back with you tomorrow at 2 p.m. here on Facebook Live, YouTube, and ComedySchoolsRadioNetwork.com with Living on a Thin Line. We're going to see you guys tomorrow. Bye-bye. <laughs>